Welcome to the Painting of the Week podcast, where we look at some of the most significant paintings throughout history. Introducing your hosts, Phil Grabsky and Laura Bentham. Today, we are talking about a um, lovely painting, really, by Jacopo Pontoramo. It's called The Deposition from the Cross. And um, we've been asked to look at this painting or talk about this painting by Karen from Australia. So hello and thank you to Karen from Australia. Oh, and I love Australia. I absolutely adore Australia. Yeah, that's good news then. Karen, thank you. Um, And uh, Mm. our um, exhibition on series, on screen series, does really well in Australia. I always love, so I go out there sometimes and do like a series of Q&As. Love it. Well, me Earth, too. Adelaide, me too, Melbourne, yeah. Sydney, Brisbane, yeah. Hobart, and they have some fantastic galleries. Well, I was lucky enough to go. I know we've gone completely off piece to start with, Phil, but when, you know, you sort of, just before you're 25, you could go for a year and ah. travel and do that. Yeah, did that. Nice. <laughs> and that is possibly where we need to stop. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether I've looked at many art galleries when I was there. <laughs> I did do a couple of things. Went to the Opera House. <laughs> you have to go back. Oh, I know. I have been back. All right. Yeah, I'm lucky. I love, I love Australia. I've been there twice. So. Well, anyway, anyway thank you, Karen, because um, your suggestion was we have a look at this painting. And I hope you don't mind me sharing that uh, in your request to us to look at it, you said you'd seen it in person and that it never leaves you. Um, it is, um, I mean, Florence is the most extraordinary city, isn't it? And this is this is in, this is in Florence at the uh, in the Caponi Chapel, uh, an altarpiece. Now, um, let's have a look at the painting. So, the uh, actually we have a film. I mean, that's not why we chose this painting, but I mean, our film coming out this Easter has been postponed a couple of times because of COVID. But Easter in art. Mm. Um, which I directed, I, the more I worked on that film, the more I enjoyed two things, really. One was, I don't think anyone really knows the detail of the story of Easter, the last week of Jesus's life. And whether you believe in the resurrection or not, and that's obviously extraordinarily important in terms of whether you're a Christian or not, but um, those last few days, historically, uh we know we know that a lot of it is historically historically accurate up until the point of the deposition the deposition is the point at which the dead individual is removed from the cross um one of the things by going through the four key gospels and pulling out the essentials of the story is you realize that some things are talked about and are when when they're painted by artists in subsequent centuries, they are pulling the text from the Bible. There's other things that aren't actually even mentioned in the Bible. Mm. Um, so, for example, um, Pietà, that moment, I mean, one of the most extraordinary sculptures ever, which is in the Vatican of the dead Christ on the lap of Mary. Um, that's, that's not in the Bible. That's just something that artists subsequently made up. So in the film then... Did you use paintings? 
So have you used sculptures? Sculpts, some sculptures, paintings, some drawings. I mean, the, our, our tagline, which I think is completely genuine, is it's the greatest story ever told because mm. I think you can make an argument that it's the most significant story ever written. Again, irrespective of your belief yeah. in, in, in the reality of it, particularly the resurrection, but so many people have believed it. It's been such a you know remarkably powerful the last 2,000 years of human history, um, you could make an argument. I mean, it'd be an interesting conversation to have. I'm sure there's counter-arguments, but that it's, you know, that story has been the most significant of any. You must have had absolutely hundreds of paintings and sculptures then to choose from. It is also, this is, well, this is our tagline, the greatest <laughs> yeah. story ever written, the greatest story ever painted. Mm. Because the more I looked... yeah the more I realised that just about every artist, maybe until now or until relatively recently, every artist has dealt with it. Yeah. And That's you'd, amazing. You'd, you'd be hard-pressed to find an artist in history that hasn't in some way painted that last week of Jesus' life. It right. is actually utterly remarkable. Now, why? Well, two reasons. One, that's what's being commissioned. Yeah. The church, these religious authorities were the primary commissioning body um, of an awful lot of painters at an awful lot of times in, those, in, the, in these 2,000 years. Secondly, and I think this is very important, you know, compared to a portrait of somebody's wife or a noble, yeah. or even compared to which comes relatively late, the introduction of landscape painting, but even compared to a landscape. But can you think how exciting it is? So you look at a painting like this. This is such a thrill for an artist. Mm. So, you know, this would have been a commissioned work. You know, an artist is not going to do a deposition like this and at this scale on the off chance. No. So this chapel has said, we need an altarpiece. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I'm currently, uh, well, there's plenty of artists where, probably all artists, actually, you have to understand the history of the commissioning at the time to understand yeah. what, it, what it is they did. So, you know, the, the opportunity to paint the human form, so in this case, the dead Christ, the opportunity to paint you know, multiple figures and the interrelationship between those figures and, and the drama and the emotion. And, you know, this was, this was the high, I mean, no artist could get a better commission than this. Mm. If you imagine the alternative was, as I said, well, I'll come to the palace and paint my portrait. Yeah. It's just not the same. But yeah, as you've gone on though, as it kept on being cancelled, I bet you keep thinking, oh, I wish I'd put this one in. I wish I'd put that one in because this one's incredible. Well, is this one? Do you see what I'm saying? You're going to always think, uh, oh no, I've got a regret now. I know. Uh, I, I finished it two years ago. Yeah, and ab <laughs> absolutely, there you keep coming across paintings. You think, oh, that would have that been brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> but I've never, obviously, I know. I mean, I'm saying, I've just never seen this painting before at all. It's amazing. Well, there's a number of really interesting mm. things about it. So something that you pointed out. Mm. So you perhaps you can talk about this because I've not actually notice straight away. Talk about the fact that there's no cross, or maybe there is. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, I do think that you ought to mention, we need to mention 
that he was he painted in the style which I'd never heard of before was mannerism, and that sort of focuses mainly on people, but also in this piece there's no other thing except a cloud and just all the people that are there, and it's just they're just all utterly grief stricken. Mm. There's not a there's not a single person that just it hasn't got grief all over their face. But yes, when it comes to the cross, I think we were talking earlier that is there a human mm. cross within this painting? I'm assuming everyone's got it up now, mm. unless of course they're running, which we always go back to. So I should but say, yeah. as always, just to remind you, at the seventh-art.com webpage mm. website, you can um Go click on the podcast and you can pull up the picture and have a look while you're listening. Yeah. Um, so Easter in Art, when I made that film, there wasn't one deposition that I saw or I can remember seeing where you're not seeing the cross. Right. The physical cross. Um, yeah. You know, the, 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 the upright Wood and the crossbeam wood, and Christ being carried, you know, um, um, removed from the cross. Um, and I've got a few in, in the film, and they're staggering paintings, but not one without the physical cross. Now, we don't have that here, do we? No, but we do think we just had a look at the painting earlier that maybe across from Mary, the four faces. Mm. And then coming down from, there doesn't seem to be any suggestions of who's in these paint in this painting particularly. So the person at the top, then coming straight down to the person at the bottom that's actually mm. lifting Christ is, could that be a cross? Yeah, I think I, I noticed it, but I think that's a really very likely. Yeah, I mean, that that person at the top. Okay, this is so an artist. In this case, Pontormo. By the way, his name really was Carucci, wasn't it? But he came from the town of Pontormo. Yeah. So he took the name of his town, like Caravaggio, like like others. So he's 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 got this commission, and they they would have had specific dimensions. They would have said, "Look, this is the dimension. Mm -hmm. This is what you have to paint." So you've got that um, semicircle at the top, and obviously you want to fill it. So you could argue that he's just put that individual there to fill the space. I actually think you're right. I think, as I've said many times, there's no accidents in painting, no. very rarely. <laughs> so I think the fact that that character is bang in the middle, mm. upright, yeah. means that consciously or subconsciously, for those sitting in the aisle, sitting in the pews, and you've always got to remember the artist knows, particularly in this case when it's a commission for a church, he knows who the audience are going to be and how they're going to be sitting. They're going to be looking up at the painting. It's going to be in, a, in, a, you know, in the church itself. So I think that absolutely. Now, look, so subconsciously or, or not, they'd have been looking for a cross and consciously mm -hmm. or subconsciously they're seeing a cross. Yeah. Now, does it go a stage beyond that? I think that's what's interesting, which is, is he making a point? Is he saying that in some way... Just trying to highlight that Christ is dying for our sins, that in some way we as humans are are the cross on which he has been killed. 
Okay. Don't know. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> and that, I mean, and you know, if you look at these, if you look at the uh, the individuals, you think you can tell who's men, who, who's a man, and who's a woman, but actually, it's yeah. it's a little bit vaguer than that in some cases. So, again, these kind of a broad sense of hum, you know, us humans. You're saying it's like a focal point, and this whole painting is kind of muddled. And, and there's a lot going on. Almost you're sort of looking in a, cir- a circuit on this one. I, I mean, I don't really see a focal point. Maybe Mary's face, well, which is then slightly odd because it's off from where it would normally be. Well, I mean, she's heartbroken. Of course she is. The, 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 the role of Mary is tremendously interesting. Mm. And, um, again, your views, one's views on this will differ depending on whether you are Protestant or Catholic or whatever. And we're talking here 1528, you know, 1525 to 1528. Mm. Um, some have suggested this is finished in 1528 uh, in Florence. Uh, this is a quite a significant time because... Maybe, I mean, as you'd mentioned before, we're kind of at the transition from high Renaissance to late Renaissance. So um, Michelangelo's still alive. Leonardo dies 1519. Raphael, he's not um, far behind, is he? No, he's um, definitely, I don't know when he died. Well, we just said, well, we just had his 500th anniversary, didn't we? So oh, 15, okay, 1521. Um, <laughs> but 1527. <laughs> yes. 1527 is um, a sack of Rome. <clears throat> Something that a lot of people might not know about, but Rome was sacked and they were there, I think, for eight months, just absolutely trashing the place. And it was really, it was like, imagine London being yeah. conquered by the French or something and they mm. just caused mayhem with rape, pillage and destruction. Okay. So you know, this, is not, this is not a happy time. No. <laughs> um, but 60, 70 years later, when you get to Caravaggio, um, there's a real debate. In fact, throughout, throughout the 16th century, there's a real debate about the role of Mary. And um, the Council of Trent, which is something we deal with in the, in the film about Caravaggio, you know, the, one of the many things they talked about is what role does Mary have? Now, of course, if you go to a Protestant church, Mary has a relatively minor role. If you mm-hmm. go to a Catholic church, she has a very major role. Yeah. And uh, you know, here, she's, here she's clearly a significant figure. Um, she's, she's almost, I mean, look how tall she would be. Well, if I If you think, look at the, the proportion on, I don't know, she doesn't, she looks slightly out of proportion. I don't think she's standing on the ground and if you look, that's, yeah. that's her legs that are yeah. connecting, you know, they're obviously coming off at a diagonal. Mm. It's almost like she's, I mean, she can't be being held up by anybody. But no, and it does then look like the Christ is slipping or slipped off of yeah. her lap. Yeah. It's almost like she's sitting on a rock that we can't see or I yeah. don't know. It doesn't really make any sense, does it? Um, but there's no question that, again, sitting in the, on the pews looking at this, you are looking at more than just the, the body of Christ. Mm. Let's repeat as well, for those who haven't heard one or two of the other podcasts, um, 
there was a deliberate reason for having paintings of the body of Christ, whether um, actually still hanging on the cross or being deposed, you know, taken down from the cross. cross but, you know, you've got a mass that goes on in front of this mm. where you have a priest who is talking about the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, visualizing, you know, particularly late, you know, when you've got the wafers and so forth, you know, he's talking about it. The wafer is representative of it or more to some. It's, it's a physical uh, incarnation of the body. But behind behind this mass, you have a very clear physical visual representation of the body of Christ. Um, it's no accident that these, these paintings are painted for the altar. Yeah. Um, so you'd think that there would be more focus on it, but I think here it's quite clear that there's this kind of there's a duality of, of um, and maybe that also comes down to the artist himself, and that the artist wants to have the opportunity to express the trauma and the the despair. But it's it's just such a light touch. Yeah, not like Renaissance po- uh, pictures at all. Paintings. It's, it's there is that sort of saying of the, how light. Yeah. The body of Christ seems, and how the people carrying him yeah. all, they all are not like even putting any them. effort into it at all. Yeah, and they all I, seem like they're floating. Yeah, although are those are those two at the front? I mean, you know, with Leonardo, definitely with Michelangelo, definitely you would feel the weight of his body. Yes, and actually, other later artists, Rembrandt, others. But don't you think that also represented in the colours? The colours are really. They're, they're quite something. They're really beautiful colours, really pastel, such light colours. I think the colours are absolutely fantastic. Me too. I and, really, really do. I love the colours. And I think that, and this is pure guesswork now, but in a relatively, I mean, bear in mind these churches are lit by sunlight if it's coming through mm. glass windows or by candlelight. Mm. And... I think it's quite easy when you go into some of these churches that the paintings, where they're kind of dark and darker, dark. I mean, maybe they've darkened over age, or sometimes they're quite hard to, to really see, and they don't really jump out at you because they're they're a bit too dark and they're not lit very well. Mm. And that's even today when you have some form of electric lighting going on. I think you'd have noticed this. I think there's a sense in which he's done something distinctive to grab your attention, which he absolutely does. Which is why he's painted this style then. I mean... It's so gorgeous. I watched a video, actually, and I, if anyone gets a chance, it's just on the... It was showing the restoration, mm. uh, and it's, it was set to some music, so it, was, you know, it just wasn't particularly complicated, but it was showing them taking it down from the chapel, taking it away, and then somebody just painting over just because it was just getting so old and dirty. Um They've done and, some retouching, have they? Oh, it's so lovely. And actually, mm. I felt like I'd like that job. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I could do that job. Could have a steady hand. You have. Yeah, imagine. Imagine if you slipped up. But it was really nice to watch because it did really focus in on the colours mm. that then they were correcting, which was just so lovely. And every, and every time I look at this painting, I just go well, and just think, oh, it's, so, it's just so beautiful. So, you know, so obviously colours have significance. Mm. And... Um, yeah, 
obviously red's a significant color in the in the Catholic Church. It's the color of the cardinals. Whether that's uh, relevant here, I don't know. But blue, mm. um, as mentioned before, so some of the very very earliest depictions of Mary, she's not in blue, and then. Okay, this is the story that I know, and I'd be very happy for someone to to let you know tell me where you know. Well, I'm sure there will. There's no, there's no truth in that. But um, <laughs> colors, colors are often. We talked before about why purple became such an important color. Yeah, because it, it the pigment is made from crushed sea snails, which is not you know, as I've said, who on earth discovered it? But anyway, they found this pigment, and. Um, at the time of Julius Caesar, it was a very, very expensive colour. So senators would wear a toga with one purple diagonal stripe yeah. to basically say, it's like people today might wear gold mm-hmm. or, you know, expensive jewellery or expensive watch to kind of show off. Yeah. So Caesar came along and then he mm-hmm. went the next extreme. So, um, <laughs> and he actually had the first toga, which was entirely in purple. So again, it would be like somebody not wearing one gold ring, but wearing every finger, every thumb, yeah. every <laughs> orifice, every I mean, just gold everywhere. Really, really, really flash. Yeah. <laughs> he becomes the first, not uh, the first, um, well, obviously the first Caesar, but you know, the emperors that then follow him, Augustus and the rest of them, they all then copy him and wear full purple. Right. And so then you, that is then inherited by the church who would wear at times full purple. Now, blue, mm. uh, the very best colour blue comes from, as I understand it, and I've been to Afghanistan and, and still the story that I'm, as I understand it, one mine that produces lapis lazuli, which is a beautiful blue stone. I've got I've got, I've got a chess set that I bought in Afghanistan made out oh. of lapis lazuli. Okay, we need to see that. It's I need beautiful. to see that. Lovely. Um, and <laughs> there's a blue stone that has little bits of gold, gold pigment in it. A gold kind of shiny. I don't think it's gold, but it looks gold. Anyway, it's basically blue pigment. One mine. Okay. Very, so you can imagine the expense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When, by the time I got to Venice, yeah. it was really expensive. And then when it was crushed, it became beautiful blue. And mm. in the correct fasting, um, uh, uh, you know, oil or whatever it might be, because it was so expensive, it was reserved for a really important character, and that became Mary. I see. Okay. Now, of course, by this time, mm. 16th century, and those that to be honest, that blue doesn't look like it's it's lapis lazuli. It's blue that's been using using another pigment, but. It is just the tradition that Mary would be in blue. And and remains so to this day, to the best of my knowledge. Yeah. So, I mean, if you go into a church and you see Mary in orange or green or or yellow, you would be surprised. So we don't even think about it. But actually, when you do stop to consider, oh, yeah, Mary, she's always in blue. Yeah. Um, But what's so nice about this is that the additional colour that he's using, this kind of pale pink, is Oh, it's just lovely. So nice. Yeah. The reds and greens are complementary, that top right. There's nothing treasure. stark. There's nothing really just taking your eyes. It's, it's just when you always say about paintings that 
you start somewhere and then you go, mm. it just seems to always, it just looks pretty circular to me. It's definitely a circular, yeah. You go around, you start with, the, you go up his yeah, body yeah. to him, don't you? Yeah. And I love those hands in the middle. Yeah. Which I think so there might be an extra one. But what's that above for Christ's head then? That's another person. Oh, I see. Looking, looking, so maybe that's another person looking one of away. those hands then. Because there's definitely a, You'd have to you have to spend some time trying to work out where the hands are all coming from. Well, I suppose that's kind of you know, it's, um, yeah. Again, he's enjoying painting materials, isn't he? He's really, <laughs> by the way, that's funny. That so we've been told mm. the strange-looking character on the right that you might think is a bearded cherub <laughs> with the green hat. Is the it? Green hat. That, <laughs> that is supposed to be um, Polentorma himself, and. Um, <laughs> You know, sticking his self-portrait in. It's funny the way artists did that. They used to quite like doing that, didn't they? It's a bit of, I mean, it's... I mean, you would, wouldn't you? <laughs> it, it, it's it's a little bit of a, of a kind of calling card. Yeah. And, you know, Raphael would sometimes put his name on, on a stone that's in the painting or <laughs> um, um, Leonardo, Michelangelo at times. There'd be some reference to themselves. You know, bear in mind that artists have been anonymous. Think of those cathedrals that take took centuries to build. There's no names on there. Very, you might get the occasional little personal identification, but it's about now that artists are, are, are you know. Yeah. I suppose that the person that commissioned it were quite happy to have them just pop themselves in there. Well, it's interesting. <laughs> I, I wonder about that because Caravaggio um, <laughs> turns up in a lot of paintings and I actually think that it caused him a problem. Well, one of the many reasons he got into trouble is that, you know, a, ch- a church has commissioned a work. It might take some time for this work to appear. Yeah. And the focus <laughs> should entirely be on, let's say, Jesus. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> or, or the saint in question, St. Andrew or St. Paul or St. Peter. And actually what you've got is Caravaggio kind of peering over somebody's shoulder. <laughs> And I'm surprised they didn't say, no, paint, paint, paint that out. You know, you're not allowed in it. Get, get, um, yeah, because it is a bit funny. If someone's only, commissioned it, they're like, oh, I, was, uh, oh, I just, I need one more character. Oh, I'll just pop myself in. But there's no way they could sign it. There's no way they could sign it. Oh, no, it. of course. I mean, Caravaggio only signs one painting. Oh, really? And mm-hmm. uh, he does it in, in, in there's, a, there's a character in the painting that's bleeding, so Caravaggio's name is in the blood of that character. Is that painting worth more than every other painting of his? I know we've got a bit off piece. I'm sorry, but um, I'm just interested now. No, okay, they're Although, all they're all worth as much as. Uh, well, as no, I can't, I can't say that <laughs> because his paintings just don't come up for sale. Okay, because so many of them are in situ, and the churches yeah. would never sell them. No, okay, that's fair enough. Okay. Signatures are very interesting. I mean, with Picasso, um, he would only sign the picture. When it was sold, really, as a, ah. way, as a way of as a way of making it very clear that this painting had been sold and yeah. it wasn't a copy or hadn't been stolen or wasn't this that or the other. So, um, you know, he was he had a very clear uh, idea for why he would sign something. Sometimes I'm amazed by signatures. Some really, really beautifully crafted paintings. I mean, must have taken forever. And then they put this lumpy signature mm, at the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> which looks like it's been done by a four-year-old. And you think, why? It's really yeah. odd. 
Um, you must spend a bit of time on your signature, to be fair. Anyway, mm. so... Yeah, but he's popped himself. We are led to believe that that is um, Pontormo. And do you think the cloud deserves a mention on this painting? Because it is suddenly quite funny, isn't it, that all those people in, there in that circular... Well, it's quite a flat painting, isn't it? Mm. I mean, it's, and then it's just, okay. Well, it's not. It's not a great deal of depth. I think, to be honest, if you mm. didn't have that cloud, yeah, take that cloud away, the whole mm. thing just gets so busy and crushed, mm. and you think the whole thing is like there's no depth to it at all. No, and he um, didn't think I'll oh, pop another person in there. Or, or, it would have. That would just been. Yeah. No, I think that's that's. Yeah. He, he had to do something there, and it's, it's so ju It just gives a sense of sky and. Mm. Maybe maybe it's an allusion to heaven above and you know where yeah. Jesus is headed. I don't know, um, but you know, and he saved himself. Also, you know, he saved saves himself having to do background landscape or cityscape. Exactly. Or, and then there's fabric at the bottom, which that person who's carrying Christ. Mm, there is trap. no there is no way he could be carrying like that. With with his feet like that, really? No, the only slight. It does look odd. He's, yeah, to me, it doesn't look like he's landed on the guy's shoulder. No, oh no. So you could interpret it as he's just slipped off Mary's lap mm. and he's just arriving on the guy's shoulder. Yeah, or that he's just not terribly good or terribly bothered about painting it in the way that Leonardo would or Michelangelo would, which is you you would. Feel every strain of every tendon, yes. every ligament. Um, you, you know, Leonardo would have studied how that hand would have looked on the chest of Christ, and and then there's no blood coming out of that scar. No. You know, yeah. you can just about see the 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 mark of the nail on his hand, but it's, you know, there's no blood or anything. Um, it's lovely. It's it's actually it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like it's flat, actually. Definitely it, flat. Yeah, it's lovely. It's so lovely. I'd love to know if Karen, uh, later on, maybe, once this goes out, she can let us know why the painting stayed with her so long. Because she must have seen a lot, I'm sure. It is lovely. And I'm so pleased I saw it this week. I must, it must, I mean, it's going to be... By the way, that material is is clearly the shroud is going to be wrapped in. Oh, pool. okay. So it's going to be wrapped in that and then taken to the tomb. Yep. Um, oh yeah. And uh, so that would have been on the Saturday, and then when they examined the tomb on the Monday, he he'd um, he'd gone. He'd, he'd, yeah. he'd been resurrected. Mm. He had been resurrected. Um. I mean, seeing this painting in the church would be more powerful than looking at it in a book or, mm. or in a computer. Yeah, there's, there's other frescoes around it as well, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And also, it's just it's going to be lovely, isn't it? You'd be in the church and you and you're in Florence. Yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> Don't there's another place add to the list? <laughs> oh, Florence. Florence is astounding. And I've only been there once, but I had two tiny children with me, oh. so I didn't manage to do all the things that I should have done. So that's okay. It's another excuse to go back. Every time I come and do a podcast with you, Phil, I end up wanting to travel somewhere, somewhere else. and eat something. We always have some kind of food that ends up thinking about. So. Mm. I mean, Florence was so lucky that it wasn't damaged in the war. Yeah. The story goes that there was a moment when 
you know, the, the German commander was told to, okay, I don't know if this is true, but the story I heard was that he was told to destroy it and he just refused. Quite a brave thing to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, That's interesting. When I did, he, must have, he must have been there then. <laughs> yeah, no, he just ignored the order. Oh. I think there was, a, I mean, I, you, I, when I was making In Search of Mozart, it was quite sad. You'd go to a town. I mean, literally, I went in search of every, you know, went to everywhere. That you yeah. To many of the places that he'd been to. You go to somewhere like Augsburg or Mannheim, and you'd say to somebody there, you know, I used to go get a local historian and say, well, can you show me all the, what Mozart would have known? Yeah. And they'd say, well, I would do, except on X date in 1943, British bombers uh-huh. firebombed the place and. 87% of the buildings were destroyed. Yeah. It's all gone. Yeah. Uh-huh. The only things that survived were <laughs> the stone churches and the stone palaces. <laughs> How did that documentary go? And Not you, a lot to it. <laughs> and you think, oh, yeah, well, okay, sorry about that. But then you go to somewhere like Prague. Yeah. And you think, my God, Europe must have been so extraordinary mm. before those mm, First World War, to some extent, but the Second World War in particular, and so much was lost. Yeah. It's really, um, it's really, it's just terrible, isn't it? Mm. Um, but fortunately, Florence is one of those cities that more or less survived. Well, did survive, and it's just staggering. Mm. Um, so I'm at, so I have to say, Karen, that mm. what you have motivated me to do is that next time I go to Florence, which actually is is on the cards in the next six months. Oh. Lovely. I will make a point of going to see this painting by Jacobo, Jacopo yes. Pontormo. Um, oh, and that's perfect. I think there's... Uh, incidentally, sorry, we should just say, so people talk about the high Renaissance. Yes. So the Renaissance always interests me. Why, why is this Italian, particularly Italian, moment in art history why is it given a french name rebirth renaissance um in fact it was a german that gave it the term so it makes even less sense to me why he didn't use a german term for it yeah but obviously the idea of renaissance was rebirth of great art i mean obviously in italy they were extremely cognizant and became ever more so as they started uncovering more and more of ancient rome and they were staggered, absolutely staggered by what they found. Yeah, I can imagine. The, the sculptures were, they like, who on earth? Was, it, it, imagine if we were to find stuff from 15, 1600 years ago. Just <laughs> freaking out. Of that quality. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Raphael went down into Nero's golden house and saw paintings on the wall, which he was so impressed by that he basically copied them for the Vatican walls. Yeah. I mean, um, the High Renaissance, which is a term that you'll come across, is when the Renaissance was, as it suggests, at its peak. Mm. And that means, what, 1500 to 1520, the Leonardo, Raphael, Michelangelo, busy working away. Um, but as it ends, as we mentioned a bit earlier in the podcast, about 1525, 1526, some say with the sack of Rome, 1527, you then get into the late Renaissance. Now, the late Renaissance, of which this Pontormo is a part, 
as you've pointed out, there's a there's a change in the in in the art. It's not as it's not as great to some people, mm. but it's now making its way to what we. I mean, Caravaggio's you know it's around the 1600s, but we're now heading towards something quite different, which is the Baroque. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's quite, you know, like Rubens and people like that. So um, it's quite good in a way, though, isn't it? It's like you've got the high Renaissance, and then he, you know, on Torme probably thought to himself, "Oh, I'm not going to be able to yeah. get up to that level." Yeah. So I'm going to actually sort of get involved in a whole new style. Yeah. Um, which is, which is, yeah, it's really lovely. Well, I always think that about filmmaking that. If you can't, if you don't have the money mm. or the ability to do something, to do a certain type of film really well, yeah, don't try it. <laughs> Always only attempt to do what, what you have the money or ability to do really well. Yes. So in case people are wondering what that means, what that means is there will be no point me trying to do full drama. No. One, on the budgets that we have, and two, because that's just not my skill set. I do work with a director. No, I can't. I, I couldn't do full drama. I wouldn't have the patience for all the actors and actresses. and <laughs> The pets, um, <laughs> the children. The, but so what that means is that when we get exhibition on screen, when we do drama, we do it in a way that we can do really well mm. rather than trying to do something that we won't do well enough. Um, and uh, I think I... I you know, it's very hard to try and emulate Raphael, Michelangelo, Leonardo. <laughs> they are yes. not only amongst the greatest painters of all time, but the most creative individuals, most skilled artists in history. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a tough thing to mm. follow. So what you're saying is then, if you can't beat them, don't, don't join them. them. Don't join them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so... <That's> um, <laughs> That's our new phrase. <laughs> so I think I think to some extent, um, an artist is artists are always kind of, and, and what's remarkable is that artists constantly are re reinventing with a basic canvas and basic pigments yeah. and basic brushes. It's staggering how things constantly change. Mm -hmm. Thirty years after this, you've got Car uh, sorry, uh, 60, 70 years after this, you've got Caravaggio, who is completely fresh and new again. Yeah, and. Uh, I mean, absolutely one of the greatest artists. Um, and then, okay, so go forwards, you know, go forwards another few hundred years and you're getting completely different artists. You know, compare the Impressionists. To, or, um, and then, of course, you're getting into surrealism and modernism. And it's all, I mean, it's just extraordinary. Artists can... With one blank canvas. Now, right now, as we speak in the 21st century... Mm. It's hard for artists, isn't it? It's hard to imagine what they what hasn't been done. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, I do feel for people. That's why I would definitely I'll be going for the um, rest restoration. That's where I think that's where I could. I really would. I'm into that job. Oh, mm. uh, they're fun. I mean, we obviously film restorers. Oh, I've got. To... I think. I think. <laughs> I think well, we've, I think we've, I think we've said enough. <laughs> Thank you very much. Please go to uh, seventh-art.com um, to have a good close look at this picture and to visit the shop. And thank you um, to Karen. There are, thank you to Karen. We have some excellent films about 
these artists that we've been talking about, not Pontormo, but Raphael, Leonardo, uh, Michelangelo, um, and uh, I'm sure you'll, you'll uh, enjoy watching those. And uh, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Painting of the Week podcast. For more information, please visit our website at 7th-art.com or contact us by emailing info at 7th-art.com. See you next time.